by itself, Bitcoin isn't private. And criminals either don't know this or they're just way more concerned about making a quick buck. Hey, I'm Dave Hollerith. You're listening to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Last week, the Department of Justice announced the seizure of the largest darknet market for child exploitation content in the world. And this darknet market used Bitcoin. But as it turns out, Bitcoin was also a major part of how investigators were able to seize the website and arrest its administrator. I'm releasing a longer story about this next week. But before then, I wanted to go ahead and put out the interview I had with Jonathan Levin. He's the chief strategy officer of Chainalysis, the crypto company that helped investigators take down this darknet website. But before we get into the interview, I want to give a quick update. We're launching two new podcasts in partnership with the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. There's the Weekly Bits podcast hosted by Peter Chwaga, senior editor at Bitcoin Magazine, and the Bitcoin Happy Hour hosted by Colin Harper, associate editor and staff writer at Bitcoin Magazine. Weekly Bits is a quick dive into the week's top stories, while Happy Hour is more of an off-the-cuff, roundtable kind of conversation with drinks. It's fun. You can find both on the Bitcoin Magazine feed wherever you listen to your podcasts. The show also has a very cool new sponsor, eToro. eToro is a trading platform doing a lot of innovative things in space. They've just officially launched in the U.S., and that means, finally, U.S. citizens can use the platform without having to use a VPN. Even before they launched in the States, eToro is the number one social trading platform in the world. On eToro, you can plan, trade, and learn from the best experts in the crypto community space about strategy, due diligence, and all the technical things it might take months to learn on your own. eToro gives you access to the most popular crypto assets on the market, but their virtual trading and discussion features are what really sets them apart. You can discuss and test trading strategies with a community of over 1 million traders. On top of all that, their trading fees are transparent and exceedingly low. There are no commissions or hidden fees. If you want to try it before you start trading, they offer a $100,000 virtual trading feature that lets you test out the platform and the markets. You can build your ideal portfolio with just a few easy steps on your smartphone or computer. Create your account, verify your identity, link your bank account, and start trading. It's that easy. So what are you waiting for? Head over to eToro.com to get started with your portfolio today. Now, here's my interview with Jonathan Levin. But before we get into all that, I wanted to give a quick update about what's going on with Bitcoin Magazine over the last couple of weeks. We're launching two new podcasts in partnership with the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. There's the Weekly Bits podcast hosted by Peter Chwaga, senior editor at Bitcoin Magazine, and the Bitcoin Happy Hour, hosted by Colin Harper, associate editor and staff writer at Bitcoin Magazine. Weekly Bits is a quick dive into the week's top stories, while Happy Hour is more of an off-the-cuff, roundtable conversation with drinks. It's fun. You can find both on the Bitcoin Magazine feed wherever you listen to your podcasts. Cryptocurrency exchanges identify illicit activity like Welcome to Video and help follow the money so that the people who were administrating administrating the site and the people who were providing content to the site, those funds that they generated through that activity were traced using chain analysis. Right. Okay. And I had a question. I, I read the actual indictment that was released on Wednesday, I believe. In it, um, they described uh, that Bitcoin was helped to, to trace funds. I also know that the page source of the homepage of this darknet marketplace uh, actually accidentally revealed the IP address. 
So I was just wondering, um, in relation to that, uh, how Chainalysis played a role. Because I think that when I initially heard about this story, I wasn't really sure how much Chainalysis did and didn't do, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So in general, chain analysis is part of an investigation and, and investigations comprise of lots of different techniques to get at probable cause and then also to prove beyond reasonable doubt the people involved in these crimes perpetrated the crimes. And so there is never a case where it's purely chain analysis. Chain analysis is part of an investigation where what we do is we specialize in follow the money, follow the transactions. And actually, uh, we help then identify the services that individuals were using to cash in and cash out of funds. Uh, and those exchanges themselves identify who those actual individuals are. They do KYC on their customers and then can share that information with law enforcement to then go and make arrests. What we provide really is the training and software to law enforcement agencies so that those agencies themselves uh, and the cryptocurrency exchanges can really collaborate together to build these types of investigations. So the law enforcement agencies will be using our Chainalysis Reactor product, which is a visualization software that helps them build cases where they follow the money in these investigations. Our Chainalysis KYT product is our Know Your Transaction product, which helps the exchanges themselves potentially report suspicious activity. So in the blog post that we put up, you will see that we labeled the wallet for Welcome to Video that would help both law enforcement and exchanges identify that activity. And law enforcement can then ask for more information from the exchanges and exchanges themselves could actually report any transactions that they did with that website to law enforcement to start cases um, like Welcome to Video. Right. That makes sense. So I know the chain analysis reactor product is, is sort of the investigations product that law enforcement use. But are you saying also that there is another chain analysis product that was used by the exchanges to sort of keep track of that ad that address? So I'm speaking in general terms. Okay. So we have we have chain analysis reactor, which is our investigation product used by law enforcement to follow the money in these investigations. We also have a product called chain analysis KYT, which is Chain analysis, know your transaction. And that software enables exchanges to identify this type of illicit activity in real time and build cases to, to report suspicious activity. Right. Okay. In the chain analysis reactor product, can you sort of describe like what that looks like to use? Because uh, I, I've read about blockchain analysis and it's a pretty important topic to, to know about. And it, I think it keeps getting better from what I read, but I, I always have trouble actually like understanding what it tangibly is. Yeah. So that's quite difficult on a podcast, I imagine. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but essentially we, um, we have a user interface, which really simplifies how uh, people should be looking at cryptocurrency transactions. We group them together. We say that you know, a specific set of transactions is done by um, a particular entity. And so we group that together into a nice uh, node in a graph which shows sort of link analysis. We're looking at 
you know, how have different wallets interacted over time so that you can then follow the money on a on a link chart with sort of nodes and vertices that you can you can visualize exactly what happened and so we typically have a node per wallet and some of those wallets we are able to attribute to real world services so you'll see um, nodes in our graph that are you know labeled as exchanges or darknet markets those will be different colors and it's visually simplified so that you don't immediately need to get into transactional details. You're looking more about you know, what happened. How did someone source their Bitcoin? What services were being used? Or where are they cashing out their funds? And being able to visualize that on a, on a chart which has sort of nodes and links between the nodes. Yeah, that chart is it's very helpful visualization of kind of the scenario. You might not know as much about this, but I was curious, I mean, I know part of your, your software's value proposition is helping people, helping law enforcement contact exchanges. I was curious, do you know if law enforcement ever contacts other darknet markets in order to try and corroborate information? So I, I can't really speak to all of the investigative techniques that, that law enforcement use. I think that the ability for law enforcement to understand what is going on in those environments is partly due to if you if you listen to the press release you know they have people that are experts in these forums experts in being able to operate in the dark web and so you know there there definitely is a level of communication between law enforcement in those environments and the operators of those sites. Yeah. And the big part of this story, at least, that has come out through the media so far is about how much Bitcoin was was used in this particular darknet marketplace. And I was just curious if you could speak to any of the other cryptocurrencies that were used or accepted on the website. Yeah, so so actually only Bitcoin was used on the website. Yeah, and and as somebody who tends to work in these cases a lot, whose company contributes to solving these cases, do you see any sort of trend between the use of cryptocurrencies as just Bitcoin or moving to other currencies like the privacy currencies? Yeah, so I think that there is some shift in, in general in the market, but by far the most used cryptocurrency in any of these marketplaces continues to be Bitcoin. And so it's going to take quite a long time for any other currency to unseat Bitcoin as the most used cryptocurrency on the dark web. It's kind of interesting because it's pretty clear uh, from this case is the most recent example that Bitcoin is not good for criminal activity necessarily, but it's the highest in demand. Yeah, so I think that the case shows that a lot of these darknet markets are aimed, unfortunately, at a mainstream audience. So, for example, with this website, they were marketing themselves to pedophiles all over the world. And in order for that to be something that is accessible to all, they tend to use the most easy to use, most liquid, most available cryptocurrency, which happens to be Bitcoin today. And so I think that the trend, depending on the use case, will be if it's marketed at trying to get as many people as possible to participate in the marketplace, that may 
continue to be Bitcoin and, and people um, may feel that that is worth the risk if it means getting a larger target market. Yeah, it's kind of a, an economics thing. It is definitely an economics thing. <laughs> so I also read that the in- investigator product reactor also helps law enforcement document their process. Could you just sort of clarify what that means? So for any, for any investigation, in order for law enforcement to really be able to access the legal authorities that they have to subpoena exchanges um, or request information, they need to be able to show a, a judge uh, oftentimes that they have sufficient evidence and they have probable cause. And so what that means is that inside Reactor, investigators are able to leave annotations and messages and put that information on an investigation in order to show the prosecutor and whoever needs to see it, that they actually received some information on some day, they then performed some set of analysis and came to a conclusion. And when you can do that and document that process, that enables them to access the legal authority to request information from from exchanges and from other legal entities. So it's transparency for all parties involved, I guess you would say. Yes, and really helping, I would say, really, we have tailored the product to suit the investigator workflow. So investigators are very used to documenting all of their process in order to be able to walk back the analysis at any point and show show their workings. Yeah, in, in the blog post on your website concludes with a statement saying basically that Chainalysis was proud to be of service. And apart from the obvious first account, the act of saving 23 children from sexual abuse and all these other things that that this court case has uh, brought to conclusion to an extent, what about having assisted in this case are you most proud of? The outcome is what we're really proud of. I think that when we when we set off to start the company, we want to build an ecosystem for blockchains to be able to enable good things for society, to enable people around the world to have more access to financial services, to transact in new ways. And when we see actors abusing this and taking advantage of it, we're really proud of the work that our clients are able to do with our software and are able to not only you know, rescue uh, children from harm and, and bring justice to people that have abused children in the past or even viewed the material or create this demand for this market. And we've, we feel really proud about that, but we also, we also see this as part of our overall mission to make sure that the people that do use this technology for good are able to do so and that we can create more opportunities for people around the world. That goes into the next thought I had, which is how do you think this public announcement impacts the future of the cryptocurrency economy? So I've, I've read a bunch of the, the press releases and the overall feeling that I get is that people are taking to the message that this is one of the most successful takedowns of a child pornography website in the last few years, and it was enabled through both law enforcement efforts and collaboration with 
cryptocurrency exchanges. And without that, the case would not have been as successful. And so I think that it, it really supports what I said, which is that if we can help law enforcement and exchanges work together in the fight against abuse of cryptocurrencies, we can create a market that is more trusted, that has more opportunities for more people. And that means that I think that this news is actually very positive, although it's you know, deeply saddening and, and horrific crimes. Yeah, it's, it's, actually, it's actually a positive note that the industry can take this very seriously and, and provide you know, best in class, the best type of cases in collaboration with law enforcement. Yeah, the response I've been reading has been similar in that it's not Bitcoin did this, it's Bitcoin. Well, it is Bitcoin did this, but it's Bitcoin helped take this darknet market down as opposed to darknet. This darknet market uses Bitcoin. Yeah, and I think that the part of that which is extremely important to know is that you know, in cases like this, what the block, the transparency of the blockchain provides with analysis is the ability to size up the actual scale of the crime and so what you're able to do in general is go from maybe it's one reported incident maybe it's one lead in in a single investigation maybe it's you know one report from a cryptocurrency exchange and build that out into the scale of case that we saw in in this type of investigation and so i think that What's really important is that exchanges report on any sort of activity that they think is um, potentially suspicious, that people who are, for example, people listening to this podcast who are potentially hit by ransomware, you know, that they report those types of crimes to their local um, police forces. And you know, if you're in the United States, to the, the FBI cybercrime uh, center. And that helps you know, through the use of chain analysis the blockchain shows that it might not be an isolated incident and it might be connected to something much bigger. And then that can lead to you know, a global investigation of the scale um, that we're talking about in Welcome to Video. Yeah. And, and I'm curious about that from the cryptocurrency exchange perspective, getting an attack like a ransomware attack, that makes sense where they would have an understanding to report that incident. But I was curious, how much do you think they're keeping track of things like this? Like, how, how much is in their control to know their customers beyond, you know, the basic information is what I'm saying. The exchanges themselves should be monitoring the transactions that they are facilitating on these blockchains and know the purpose behind those transactions based on the information that they collect from customers and blockchain analysis like Chainalysis KYT. So you can know whether a customer is receiving funds from a darknet market or whether they're receiving funds from another exchange. Yeah, and, and Jonathan, I'm gonna ask you a slightly naive sounding question, um, which is that you know a lot of people in the cryptocurrency industry think that darknet markets in general uh, the freedom associated with them is is a good thing. Now, this scenario, this this takedown is obviously 
pretty strong evidence of the contrary to it. But how would you talk to that audience to explain to them the importance of, of this takedown as far as like progress for cryptocurrency? I think that the case and the humanitarian benefit almost speaks for itself. I would just add in this, in this particular instance, you have law enforcement exchanges working together with due legal process with the appropriate oversight and control so that you can actually help create a much safer and more trustworthy market than if you didn't have such ability to have close collaboration between law enforcement and exchanges yeah like there are lim- like there are limits to the free market maybe I, I think that the the case in point is about the ability for law enforcement to actually go after these types of uh, criminals who are clearly um, abusing other people's rights. I've been wondering, the actual seizure of the website and its public announcement occurred a year apart. So what has actually been going on with the investigation for the past year? So I think the the decision to announce these types of cases in general is relatively difficult. Obviously, the case even today is very much still alive. And the investigators are still pursuing a lot of the um, users and contributors to the site. Obviously, the site is is now no longer in existence. But that, that doesn't mean necessarily that the case is over. Uh, and there will still be pursuit and identification through the videos that, that were seized and through other methods, um, including tracking the, the Bitcoin payments. And what is, what is difficult is that you want to be, you could see that people in danger had to be rescued. You had countries around the world that needed to be informed of the investigation and collaborate internationally, which is not easy um and so it you know coordinating almost 38 different 38 different countries to perform the arrests uh, and get uh the the process in place to do this work uh is is definitely a a, a real victory for law enforcement globally and and gives gives some faith to you know there is international coordination on issues like this and what what is difficult is that sometimes you say, well, wouldn't it be better to not share this information in the public domain because you might drive it further underground? But I think it just sends a really clear message to you know criminals uh, and potential criminals who might engage in this activity that there is no safe place to hide when it comes to child abuse material. Yeah, yeah, and I'm. I'm obviously um, a part of that as as trying to uh, write a, an article about that. So, it, I mean, that's kind of always an, an interesting topic to, to think about, about the, the value of public communication versus keeping things quiet while an investigation goes through. But in general, you've been doing this for a number of years. And I was curious, in general, do you think that criminals are getting better at hiding their transactions and behavior on darknet markets? Or do you think it's kind of been the same game for the last couple of years? I think that the the game constantly evolves and it really depends on individual cases to know whether it's easy or not. I think that 
in general, what's seen as, for me, is the outcome. In, in this case, it's very clear that the outcome was a really successful operation. And that means that whether or not it has been changing over the last few years, law enforcement still has the capabilities to, to be able to track down these types of criminals. Right. And is there another case that you can point to uh, that Chainalysis has been a part of where there's been more sophisticated techniques? Well, it depends on what what we call sophisticated or unsophisticated techniques. Right. A bigger a bigger operation on the Bitcoin side would be the Hansa marketplace, which had, you know, a different level of market where there were you know, vendors, there was multi-signature wallets, there was lots of lots of technical parts of the marketplace that that were put together uh, and reviews and other types of things that that were a much more uh, sophisticated marketplace at the end of the day. I'm curious, Jonathan, how, how does one uh, end up going down this road uh, professionally? I mean, I think that's like the question everybody asks people in cryptocurrency, because it's not something you could aspire to because it, it wasn't around when you're aspiring to do things really. So how did you end up working for chain analysis and, and co-founding it? So I actually came in to chain analysis through an economics background and my focus for the last seven years is trying to understand how blockchains in general provide a new economic paradigm for people to be able to transact around the globe. What was very apparent to me even seven years ago was that there was going to be a lack of trust in this technology unless there could be a company that could bring transparency to the marketplace and provide the ability for all the most important institutions around the world to understand what is going on in cryptocurrencies, how people are moving money, why people are moving money around. And really, that was the vision behind Chainalysis is to provide that level of transparency to the world's most important institutions to enable people to have more ways to transact globally um, and a more integrated financial system. And in terms of darknet markets, I imagine you've you've got to be somewhat of an expert at this point. So these are like anonymous communication networks that people have been using for a number of years for illicit and non-illicit activity. And I'm curious what your stance is in sort of the economics that happens there. Do you think these kind of marketplaces have a place in the world in, in a um, positive way? So I think, I mean, from an academic economics perspective, these marketplaces are, are very interesting markets. You have some really difficult problems to solve. Um, things like how do you build anonymous reputation systems? And, you know, there has been a lot of research done that does show there are real competition between these markets, which drive pricing and quality and, and all the types of things that you would experience in the normal economic markets that exist. So from an academic perspective, I think it is a very interesting realm. I think that there's an inevitability of those marketplaces to exist. It's interesting that you you make you do a good job of distinguishing academic from uh, real world because you know this is sort of a great example of how in the abstract it's interesting and in the practical real world environment you know it it, it can have like much heavier consequences. Yeah, and we we've seen. I mean, maybe a finer point on that is that there's constantly 
market failure and also administrators of these marketplaces like the one who was arrested in the welcome to video case who is out there causing harm to society and to the most vulnerable in society and those people need to be brought to justice right changing uh tax a little bit and just me wanting to know a little bit more about chain analysis in general you guys seem like a cryptocurrency company that is, is no longer a startup will will probably keep growing. Can you tell me anything about your expansion plans for the next year or just sort of products at large? Sure. So Chainalysis provides investigation software to law enforcement, compliance software to cryptocurrency businesses and financial institutions. And we are experiencing growth in all three of those markets for us today. I think one thing that we find in our business is that as cryptocurrencies become more mainstream, as they start to touch more of the larger financial institutions and businesses writ large, you know, there's constantly a need for those businesses to understand how and why people are using cryptocurrency. Uh, and those people are coming to Chainalysis for that easy to understand and unique perspectives that we have on the market. We'll be expanding our law enforcement business. Clearly, this is a great proof point for that. We'll be expanding our, our cryptocurrency business for compliance. And then we'll also be expanding into financial institutions as they become more integrated into the cryptocurrency economy. The focus for us in the short run, we continually add more cryptocurrencies to the platform beyond Bitcoin, beyond Ethereum, into other other cryptocurrencies and other tokens. And we're also focused on expanding globally. We're already a global company with clients in over 40 markets, but we're building presence and, and continuing to expand, particularly in uh, Asia Pacific. Is there anything like this that exists, anything like what Chainalysis does that exists or is as effective for non-cryptocurrencies? Do you know what I mean? So there are traditional anti-money laundering software providers for financial services. They typically serve individual institutions. Being able to identify the types of transactions that could be potentially suspicious, those typically serve the private sector only. One of the great benefits of having the transparency of the blockchain is that all of the participants can have access to the same set of transactions and the same set of blockchain analysis provided by Chainalysis that they can then collaborate much more closely on investigations and share information. And so ultimately, that environment is very different from what happens in traditional payments. So just a question about uh, blockchain analysis. I was curious, how effective is or ineffective is blockchain analysis in mitigating the effects of mixing services like CoinJoin? So I think in general, these are very case dependent. It really, it really depends. And so there have been instances where CoinJoin is, is relatively ineffective. There are cases where CoinJoin is, is more effective. And so... I don't think there's a blanket answer on whether blank blockchain analysis does or does not get through um, mixing services like CoinJoin. Yeah, so you saying that makes me wonder, it, does that have to do with maybe like the level of 
network size for these coin joins. Like if it's mixed between two people, it's not very effective. If it's mixed between 40 people, it's more effective. I, I, I'm just sort of postulating. Yeah, I think there's there's a variety of different factors that, that come into it. And uh, in general, I think that uh, we find that the implementation of the different mixing services is going to be there's going to be different vulnerabilities depending on how it's implemented. And and just in sort of the public ether, I think blockchain analysis is sort of a, a new concept for people or one that the public might not readily grasp. Is there any one thing about blockchain analysis that most people tend to misunderstand? The way to understand blockchain analysis is really bringing transparency to all participants so that everyone can look at a common ledger of transactions and understand the context behind them, you know, how and why people are using those currencies um, and doing those transactions. Right, okay, cool. Uh, those are all my questions. Thanks so much. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. You can find us over at Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine, and you can find other engaging shows at letstalkbitcoin.com or wherever you receive your podcasts.